Hello and welcome to GradCast Live, a live episode taping of the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm your host, Brittany Melton, and I'm joined today with... I'm Elizabeth Muller. And I'm Arielle Frame. Thank you for joining us here today. Um, so today we're going to talk about grad life, and as three people in PhD programs at three various points in our careers, um, I thought that we all would have a lot to say. But before we jump into things, into our three topics for today, I want to start off by asking Ariel Elizabeth if you would mind sharing what program and what year you're in. Sure. My name is Elizabeth Muller, and I'm a second-year doctoral candidate in the Health and Rehabilitation Sciences program in the Occupational Sciences field, and I just finished my candidacy or comprehensive exam. Uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm. Uh, my name's Ariel Frame. I'm a PhD candidate in the, I guess I, guess I can say candidate as well because I finished my <laughs> comprehensive exams. Um, when? In 2018? So now I'm uh, in my sixth year. Uh, at year X is what they call it here at Western, means like basically uh, we're not counting your years anymore. You should just get out of here. <laughs> uh, but that's in the neuroscience program. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And I am in my first year of media studies in the Faculty of Information and Media Studies. Um, and so I feel like we have a lot of different variations of um, expertise here um, and different expectations for our program. So I'm hoping that we'll have a lot to share. Uh, broadly, we're going to discuss today networking, uh, both for career and friends. We're going to talk about conferences and we're going to talk about TA work or teaching assistant work. So to jump right into that first topic, networking for career and friends. Um, I mean, I just moved to London in September or I guess August, and it was extremely tough. I'm sure you both have had to experience this. Um, does anyone want to get us started? I started my PhD in the pandemic. It actually, I started a semester early because COVID had just started and it was spring 2020. And I said to my supervisor, is it okay if I take a course or two? Because I'm at home and we're in lockdown and it's no fun. So why not do a PhD, right? Seems like a good thing to do. Um, but it was really sort of a double-edged sword for me because I had done my master's in the same program. So I knew some of the faculty that were there and I knew the makeup of the program. But in terms of meeting people, it was both challenging and easy. So challenging because, of course, we're virtual. The conversations are a little bit more stilted and awkward. It's hard to go to networking events. It's hard to just have those informal meetups. But I would also say in some ways easier. I live with a visual disability, and sometimes navigating a virtual world is easier than a physical space or physical world. So for me to pop onto a Zoom event or a Zoom meeting and meet people required a lot less sort of prep on the back end for me. And I was able to join a lot of committees and clubs that I wouldn't otherwise be able to join because I don't live locally in London. So in a way, the online world opened up a lot of networking opportunities for myself. I mean, just straight up plug the GradCast right now, might as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, absolutely. I, I too joined GradCast pretty well, I think, two months into my, my PhD career um, at a recommendation of a friend who is in um, librarian studies or information studies. Uh, shout out Eamon. Um, who was leaving GradCast and was looking for his his successor. So by chance, I joined 
the committee and ended up making lots of friends. I have my regular swim friend, Laura, who every week we go swimming. I might I might crash the swim party, Brittany. Absolutely. Okay. You're more than welcome. Right. Just a little plug there. Um, and there's this kind of, there's these separate f- areas here for networking, right? Where we're talking about uh, Elizabeth, you mentioned like classmates and, and colleagues, but also friends and also networking outside of your department as well. Uh, Ariel, what do, you, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Um, I guess uh, I felt the, the transition quite acutely because um, I joined uh, when there was no such thing as the pandemic. And um, I'm, a, I'm the type of person who like attends as many events as I could (laughs) and like some people are like why do you why are you always going to these talks and whatever and I'm I mean I'm interested in like going to those talks but if you show your face you just got to be the the type of person that like people expect you in the background and I think that's 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 what I aim to do and um uh I, I get the benefit of hearing talks all over the world and actually I got to hear about hear more talks uh, in the virtual environment because I could attend some talks in Vancouver that that were that where I'm from where um, they were held virtually now so now I could go to those talks I could go to talks in in Europe and I'm like regularly attending now like talks uh, out of the UK but um, so I could attend more talks and I was like great but when you attend those talks online <laughs> you not no one knows you're there Right. So if you show up in the room and people see your face or you actually get to raise your hand and ask a question, as I am known to do, (laughs) to ask many questions, um, then you actually don't get that like kind of, hey, I'm here. I'm really keen on this stuff and everybody around me should know how keen I am about that. You don't get to you don't get that feeling at all. Um, So uh, I miss that and I'm glad to have had it back. And actually, uh, I I think we're going to talk about conferences in a bit so I can tell you more about networking at the conference in person back uh, in a minute but um, generally I would say it's difficult more difficult it for me it had felt way more difficult to do that um, virtually networking I honestly never went anywhere never did anything online just for the purposes of networking whereas there were events certain events where were just very like social events where it was just for the purposes of like meeting people and talking. I never did that online, so I can imagine people were would be missing that quite a bit over the course of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I um most importantly, I felt it joining joining my PhD program, I felt it trying to meet professors in my department. And it was mostly because so we have classes in person, so I got to know my classmates quite well and I had friends in London, so that wasn't really an adjustment. However, Uh, Right now, I'm trying to put together a fields committee and putting together a fields committee when you know the people who have taught you in your department, it's pretty lean Um, and getting to know uh, people in a research department who are heavily involved in their own research is incredibly difficult to get on their radar. Yeah, Elizabeth? Yeah, you know, that that was one of the things I struggle with in my comps. And one of the things I found that helped was going to uh, seminars or field field work um, opportunities within your department. So in our department, we have uh, a monthly seminar for everyone in the field. So we have our department, but then 10 or so fields within that department just make things super fun and confusing. So uh, going to seminar and meeting faculty, because the way our seminar is set up, we have faculty that are guest speakers. So I could say, hey, I came to your seminar and you talked about X. But another thing too, 
I think that really helped was if the conferences, like if there was a conference that had little breakout rooms, going into those to be able to do a little bit of networking helped. But for sure, it was definitely more challenging when you couldn't have those like water cooler conversations in the hallway with faculty because there was no hallway and no water cooler because we were at home and that was sad. Yeah. And when we're talking about like looking at our department right now, my department, no matter the time of day, the day of the week, it kind of looks like it's closed. There's not a lot of people around on campus right now. However, I actually think that uh, like these kind of program specific conferences, my department has one, it's called Mediations. Um, and that was something that really got me on radars of, of com like possible committee members because I am a first year student. I didn't really come in with a lot of research experience. Um, and so not a lot of people know who I am, but going and, and talking about my, my research that I was doing for coursework, uh, made people immediately like they know they now know my name I I go to talk to them and they go oh you just did your mediations talk like that was really cool I heard a lot about it and I'm like okay that was a, like the most stressful and and <laughs> an anxious experience of my life but I'm glad that that paid off uh, so that actually ended up being like Elizabeth a very very good experience to get to know people um, yeah I guess uh, another thing that comes to mind as well is um, a lot of networking opportunities are not planned. You just randomly run into people. And that was kind of gone. Uh, I didn't run into anybody uh, when I when it was virtual. And actually, like I, I was here uh, on campus for all of the, there was no point in, during the pandemic where I was restricted from coming to campus because I work with animals uh, and, um, I, and I age them across, you know, months and months and weeks. So, um, I was allowed to stay on, continue to come to campus to to manage my animals, and it was like empty here. But like, even imagine if you couldn't, you couldn't come to campus at all, and nobody was there. Like, when are you going to randomly bump into someone and be like, "Oh, Professor So and So," or or even even like other other graduate students? Because like, keep in mind, like, I I consider other graduate students equally well, similarly valuable to network <laughs> with. You know. Well. Because I'd say well, uh, maybe not equally, but but similarly, honestly, because um, you know they're gonna if you have uh, if they feel good about you, like they're gonna be your colleagues in the future. They're gonna if they if they stay in academia, even if they don't, like you want to leverage those relationships, and I think it's good to to do that. But you're you're not gonna run into anyone, especially especially other graduate students. Absolutely, I felt that time between I think it was January to February where we went back online for a little bit was inc incredibly isolating because I had gotten accustomed to going once a week to the grad club and going and it was less uh, it was a purely a social experience but just to get to know grad students that are outside of my department I got to know some in like French studies and comparative literature Spanish studies all of these different departments and going online immediately like pulled that back and now I don't go anymore I think um, one of the things I did when we were online was really try to avail myself of things like working in community or the PhD planning buddies groups so those were things online that were put out through student experience to help grad students connect because I mean like you just said you might go to the grad club once a week and sit down and work and maybe meet some folks but you're not doing that on zoom so I found those sort of opportunities that were presented really helpful even if it was just to go and talk to someone and say like this is this is what I'm struggling with in my comp did you have that problem how did you get through it so those were those were really helpful uh, as well absolutely and to say that 
networking, maybe not in the sense of like furthering your future career, but also just grad studies can be incredibly isolating and establishing those relationships can be very difficult, especially when you're new to a university. Maybe you don't know any faculty or, or any classmates coming into the university. I know a lot of people in my department did. They came from other programs or they came from the undergrad or the MA into the PhD program. Um, but I came in not knowing anyone at school at all. So it can be incredibly isolating if you don't have those connections pre-established. And then that paired with the pandemic uh, could be in, it could be really hard. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think to myself, uh, you know, when I when I came to London, I moved here from Vancouver. I didn't know anybody. Right. I really needed those random events in person to just talk to people when I so you mentioned the grad club for those who don't know that's uh, the Society of Graduate Students uh, run uh, a bar here on campus it's specifically for I mean it's called a club I think because it used to be membership only just for for graduate students but now uh, everybody can come uh, but usually if you go there um, it's just graduate students there so I, I heard about this when I came and it was like my first day and I walked in and just said where do the where do the neuroscience slash biology people sit and they're like those are biologists over there so I went and I sat down with them and to just just started chatting and that was like a first introduction to a few people and then they introduced me to someone else and and then I would ended up uh going to like every Friday afternoon like people would meet at the grad club some some neuroscientists would go so those opportunities um were really valuable and I can't imagine moving from Vancouver to London and then not knowing anyone and then having everything virtual and not having those opportunities. Um, I can't even I can't even picture it. Absolutely. And we're talking like right now, every single day this week, they've had something on. So we're talking like one day they had trivia, one day they have karaoke. I think tonight is board games. So there are these opportunities pushing yourself, obviously, to, to get out and go and do them. But at the same time, and I did the same thing, actually, is how I met Yimin in the first place, who was our past Gradcast member uh, in a Facebook group for FIM students, he wrote, "Hey, anyone want to go to the grad club?" And I was like, "I don't know anyone." Sure, and I showed up and I made friends that way. And they were all these um, mostly third, fourth, and upper year students that I just sat and I was like, "Give me your wisdom, please." Like over a beer, tell me everything. And that's actually how I came to Gradcast. It's both an origin story and also how I made some of my first friends at <laughs> at Western. Um, are you are either of you finding that like? Like now we're talking, so we've. I think a lot of people now have this feeling, like, oh man, the pandemic has been shitty, and like, uh, this isn't new to anyone now. Uh, that things have been difficult over the course of the pandemic, but things are sort of opening up a little bit. But there's ambiguity about how much is it open and how open. You know, what long? can? What are you actually going to do, and how long will it stay open? You know, um, I feel like I'm a very like. I guess like I <laughs> my my situation in the grad club on first day I mean you know, I'm not reluctant to go and just talk to random people and I think that some people are uh, but now I'm feeling like maybe I should be a little bit more reluctant um, not because people don't want to hear from me but because I don't know about people's sensitivities about like well how like contagious you might be or something mm -hmm. have any of you been in that circum circumstance where like you saw someone, you wanted to talk to them, but you didn't know, you didn't know whether you should talk to them. them. I'm, I have so full disclosure, I'm a hugger normally, but I've had to sort of train myself as the world opens up that, you know, we can't do that anymore. And it's sort of like training yourself how to interact with people because there was a certain sort of 
pattern on Zoom or there's a certain way that you navigated those relationships. You might talk for a minute or two, have your meeting or have your, your group or your club, have a few minutes at the end and then get off. But sometimes I find myself struggling with how to navigate social conversations that last longer than two minutes because we're not on Zoom. And then, yeah, I think also the big one for me is not knowing, are people wearing a mask? Are they masked? Are they unmasked? I was at a concert the other night and I just wasn't sure of the protocol. And I obviously I, I couldn't see to, to tell if people were wearing a mask around me. So then I had to ask and then it's awkward. So I think there's just a lot of unknowns and there's, and everyone's comfort level is so different. So what's comfortable for you might not be for somebody else. And I think, you know, just the biggest thing I've had to really learn is just to communicate, like, what are you comfortable with? Do you mind if I shake your hand or do you mind if I take your elbow and we walk together? Or are we wearing masks or is there is there physical distancing in place? And I know at Western um, for a long time they had like markers uh, in classrooms and indicating where people would sit. And that was really tricky, too, just being able to navigate that as somebody not being able to see and then not wanting to upset people if you're not respecting the space and the distance. Absolutely. I think it's a lot of learning together. It's yeah. um, coming coming out of a communication program. I, I realized me, myself, um, I'm a, a poor communicator. <laughs> so it's both training myself to be more open to communicating my own comfort levels, but also asking other people their, their comfort levels and realizing that people are going to make mistakes, I think, is the biggest reality uh, when you're meeting new people. Like, uh, most often we as a group meet online, but when we, the very few times we meet in person, it's for the first time because, again, we have to find out what everyone is comfortable with because when we're meeting online, we don't have to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So when we, like even today, uh, we have to have these moments of like establishing what are our comfort levels and, and talking about that and being very open about, um, yeah, and full, like, full disclosure of, of how we're feeling. So I, I both think that's a positive thing, but it can make everyone feel a little uncomfortable, I guess. But I mean, wouldn't <laughs> I, I've always felt that like uh, communication is really key and like honesty is the key for like any relationship, really. <laughs> that's how you that's how you I, I, I mean, it's very obvious for me that when I'm watching movies and stuff and here I am, the neuroscientist doing the immediate analysis, but um, when you watch a when you watch any show, um, the problems arise when there's a miscommunication. It's very obvious, and they, it, it very frequently you'll be like watching, be like, just tell them, like, why not? <laughs> like, how 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 can you not just say, um, you know, uh, I was upset by the thing you said, uh, and if you had said that, then they would address it. But people just don't say, and there's a miscommunication, and you can like almost pinpoint it in every single drama of show. And that's the case in, in, in real life as well is, I mean, people, I think, communicate better than what's portrayed in, in movies. But um, if you're navigating your, your personal life in regards to COVID protocols or whatever, um, if you're really upfront, I'm going to take a, a tip from Elizabeth and just ask people like, you know, how, what, what's your what's your comfort level what's happening here? Yeah, mm -hmm. we're learning, help learning with Liz, help, learning with Liz. I love it. That'll be like our, our sub series. <laughs> love it. Yeah. And what I'm I think what I'm finding most importantly is that I am becoming more of I, I'm an extremely extroverted person, but I'm becoming more of a recluse because of being online for so long. And so inherently, I'm finding that like. Ex explaining myself to both my professors and my classmates, I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I have more and more of a push to myself to do things that I'm uncomfortable with because now I'm uncomfortable with everything. Like before COVID 
started I was very outgoing and very always out doing something and now I'm finding myself hard like I have to push myself a lot harder to Mm -hmm. to like go to the grad club or go to a conference which is our next topic but (laughs) go like go and talk to course mates uh, like classmates and things like that so I find being out for long periods of time can be very overwhelming because we're not used to that stimulus. Everything was so two-dimensional in our world. And then now it's just, again, like just navigating that stimulus, navigating different spaces and places and just how that feels. And I think, you know, some of the things on Zoom that or, or Teams, whatever that we would use in our in our meetings to so being able to to mute if it was more of a listening event and you could go like make a coffee well now like you're having to sit through a whole like hour-long thing it's like okay so you're totally like recalibrating and reprogramming the way you're interacting and speaking of so conferences conferences (laughs) so I have attended in-person conferences we're moving right along I have attended in-person conferences and and really enjoyed them like full weekend long full week long experiences where you go and you meet people it's really nerve-wracking to get in front of a room of people and talk but at the same time I've met some like made really great connections and met other cool grad students through that but this week turns out is Congress which is very big in the humanities and social sciences um, it is a like collection of conferences and that I'm participating in two congrats both of both of which are online so um, I have not made a return to in-person conferences I do think that that's more of a theme in the Canadian conference circle because two of the American conferences I've applied to are both in person Yes, I just got back last week from Whistler. So shout out Ooh. to anybody from Whistler. Uh, my first in person in over two years. Uh, conference fees have gone up because they haven't had in person mm. conferences. So fun fact, just be aware of that. And I found again because I was out of province. So the what are the guidelines in BC around masking and distancing, and then just sort of navigating the airplane, which was five hours of wearing a mask, and it's really like hot on the plane, and the air is not great and blah. but then you know just presenting we had to present um, our work and, and again just being minding the physical distancing and and the the room and it was a very interesting experience talking in front of a whole bunch of people in in real time and just feeling very on I felt very on the whole conference whether I was presenting or attending I just felt like you couldn't sort of sit back and pop off the camera you were you were on that whole time and then again going back to networking taking those opportunities at the coffee breaks taking those opportunities at lunch which is great but Mm -hmm. after a 10-hour day you just wanted to turn off (laughs) absolutely and Ariel you are did you just do a conference or are you about to do a conference just just came back from a conference yeah yeah um yeah the conference I went to was in Toronto in person you didn't so. come visit me, Ariel. I'm very offended. We'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to make sure that's on my agenda next time. But it was very, uh, very high-paced, in-out, um, because, yeah, we just had to bus, and I stayed with uh, a couple people in an Airbnb. and Exciting. Uh, a lot of events going on. Uh, and um, generally, I can say... It was awesome. It was so, so friggin' nice to be back in person. I'm sorry (laughs) that you uh, have had to do this. I know Congress is a very big deal in your field. It is. Uh, It's a huge, huge, big, huge deal. And congrats on being accepted. Yes, (laughs) it's very cool that you you got to participate. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I've only done really, like, in the six years of my PhD, I've only done one oral talk uh, Mm. ever. So, uh, 
I mean, if you don't count posters as a right, t- right. as an oral talk, but like an actual like presentation at like a little satellite event or something, and I was like, uh, that that's such a great opportunity to have. So if you got that uh, at Congress, that's awesome. But uh, in terms of like, what was it like to be at uh, at a in person conference again, and like how could I network? I'd say a couple things were pretty salient to me. I mean, besides being so excited to be in person <laughs> and be able to run into people and be like, hey, and some people are like, oh, Ariel, I haven't seen you forever, you know, Aww. stuff like that. Um, and just like randomly meet people and chat with them. Um, I did find, um, you know, so this, this, it was weird. This conference, they had a sign up that said, um, we highly encourage you to wear masks. Uh, although there is no there's no we know there's no laws saying that you have to and no one everyone in the building who's not part of the conference is not wearing a mask and mm. um yeah and then like people were just taking them off if they didn't want to so like some a lot of people would sit down for a big in the big ballroom and like take it off during the talk and whatever um suffice to say i didn't wear a mask the whole time because that was my comfort level and i felt better that way uh but i did find that when people were wearing masks and i was walking around um, I I actually wasn't like there's some people that you don't know you know, um, <laughs> but you you when you see them you 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 see their face you're like okay I recognize you from somewhere and then you can say something um, or you connect the the name to the face when you see their name and with along with their face then then it clicks I didn't have it I, it was very difficult for that those clicks to be made because right. people were wearing masks um, so that was tough and then. I also have difficulty in loud environments, which are often very loud, hundreds and hundreds of people in a room, mm-hmm. and they're wearing a mask, I can't see their fa- their mouth. And yes. that was very hard for me, At the, especially at the posters when I really had to hear what they were saying about the science they were presenting. And I was like, literally like leaning, and then there's the difficulty, I needed to lean in closer to hear to them. Hear. But they oh, also yeah, are wearing a mask, so yeah. I'm like, I don't want to get too close. So that was very, that was, was kind of difficult to navigate, but I found that most people, didn't give me a side eye and were mm-hmm. totally fine like being around it, it was kind of like the math was the mask was almost felt like a lot of people were wearing the mask because they felt like they needed to but not because they wanted to so they were they were not having uh yeah not really like <laughs> they weren't being touchy about uh, being around right. anyone they were just like i gotta wear a mask because everybody's wearing a mask and most people were yeah but. It was interesting. The conference I was at was hybrid, so you could do it online or in person. But presenting that way was a challenge because you were presenting to like a live room, but then there was this screen of people behind you that were on Zoom. And so just the technical piece of trying to work that out, but also just trying to accommodate for people in both spaces. And it was it's great because the, the presentations are going to be up. So anything you didn't go to because you couldn't go to two things at once because we don't have time turners. We're not in Harry Potter. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's nice because then you can go back and you can you can listen to things. But I think that that was that was a big challenge. And Ariel, I second what you're saying. Those noisy environments for, for me are also really hard. And posters, I, I tend to avoid them not because I don't like them, but just the loudness and the people and I feel like I'm shouting and people are shouting but again that's sort of this new reality that we're, we're getting accustomed to when we're 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 back in a sort of post-pandemic world now listen <laughs> I'm here to give you the exact opposite experience which is my experience with my online conference so we'll begin with saying first of all it's very anticlimactic <laughs> that we're online um in my panel that i did on sunday i got up like it's the zoom story i was asleep got up 
five minutes to my presentation, sat down. I felt no stress, which is very weird. I have trouble with public speaking. I had no stress because it was just in my bedroom and I got on and then half of the speakers didn't show up. Well, that's not very polite. No. And, and it was so interesting because I have done online talks, but it's been a, it's been a minute. And so showing up, having two people present, it was a Sunday talk. I will give it that. Um, I talked up Congress and then now I'm talking about how there was literally two people there. Um, there were two people in the room with me and the other speaker who was also the, like, uh, the whatever controlled the panel and moderator moderator thank you and um and yeah it felt very anti-climatic i didn't attend any other talks from that conference because it requires like scanning the schedule heavily to end up going for maybe like a 15 minute talk where there's very few people i think that that's what i've noticed is that when you're in this physical in this physical environment where we're all going to the conference, you're more likely to attend a bunch of panels. But when you're doing it online, there's no incentive to keep going and sitting on Zoom. And it's often happening like before the pandemic hit, going to a conference was like this huge deal. And so we were you would go and it was you were taking off time of work and this was your whole focus. This is like this is a break in my day. Like I'm I'm going to that and then I have like class later or I'm going to that and then I have a meeting. <laughs> or, or the people that are on and you don't know if they're there. It's like they're black squares. It's like, <laughs> hello. At least pop up your picture. Like, you know, you can do yeah. your photograph if you're not actually on camera, but it's like you never really know. There's like seven people, but they're all muted and their cameras are off, so you don't actually know it's like yeah. what's going on. Engagement is incredibly low. And and for, so then for me stakes are really low so I did I did my best I, I was I wasn't incredibly nervous when I signed up and got in but then when I showed up and there was so few people there I was like okay well, well what am I stressed for and the same goes for my my talk tomorrow I'm like oh well I mean two people showed up to my last one so I guess I have nothing to be too worried about and me and my my friend will be the two presenters so that's chill um yeah conferences online anticlimactic. I did I did a couple. I've did a number of them uh during the pandemic of conferences online. And uh yeah, I did get that feeling that people were just like this is like something that I came to in passing when I go to a conference in person. I mean, I'm at the conference and I'm only thinking about the conference. I'm not doing other things in between. I honestly usually have to pause my work. Mm-hmm. My work is very much like in person. I think some some studies you can you know think about it and ruminate about it for like anywhere you are you can just you're thinking right but for a lot of my work is physically I have to be at the institution handling animals and if I have to take a pause to go somewhere to do a conference for some period some days that, that all that work goes on pause which means my mind is now not is free I'm not thinking where are my animals now like what what time is that experiment going to happen so my mind is literally completely focused and just like you said, I'm engaged 100%. And I felt that 100 in in the online conferences, people were not. Um, they were not mentally engaged that that deeply. Yeah. No, absolutely not. It's in it's incredibly um, hit or miss. I guess I will say to leave off on a positive note, it is just like it's good experience either way. You know, you get to present your work and practice talking in front of people and stuff like that. So that's a positive. So, and deal with the anxiety of the technology <laughs> and whether it will work, which is always good practice for real life. Absolutely. All right. And we are back. 
Unfortunately, our friend Elizabeth had to head out, but me and Ariel are back to continue talking about conferences, grad life in general, and a bit about teaching assistant work. Ariel, I want to talk a little bit about what would make you want to go to a conference because the reason, well, after listening to you talking, sorry, I'm trying to think of how to form the sentence. After listening to you talking, you said you've only attended a few, a few, like, in it like to speak yourself so what would be the motivation then in neuroscience to attend conferences oh i guess uh what i meant was uh there's only there was only one time where i did a, an oral presentation mm. every conference i've gone to i've done a poster okay. um there have been a couple virtual conferences that you know if it were like free or reason or really cheap like 20 bucks or something uh, for like a one day one or two day thing um, then I'll just attend and listen to other people's uh, talks and whatnot but mm. uh, every <laughs> if there's a poster option then I, then I present a poster for sure okay um, yeah but only one time have I done like stand up in front of people and do an oral talk we actually we I know Elizabeth mentioned it but we didn't talk about it a lot but conference fees so I had an experience where I had applied to quite a large conference in the States with a friend and our conference paper got accepted and it was to be in person um, and it was it's, it's it's a very major conference so we were really excited and then they decided to move it online which uh, it was always going to be hit or miss right because of COVID but they were charging before you got accepted you had to pay your conference fees. So it was like $150 American to uh, be be considered for the conference. And then when you were considered, you had to pay again uh, in American. And after that happened, my friend and I were like, well, this feels really predatory. So we pulled out because the conference was moved online. They extended the, the paper submission, like the call for submissions. We got ours in. And then the day after the, the, the submission closed, they moved it online. So it was incredibly predatory. And I'm poor. Like we're talking, we're talking as grad students who have very limited funding. There's great there's great support for going to conferences through SOGS and things like that. Um, but it's after the fact, right? We're talking like you have to first pay and then get reimbursed four months later. So, um, yeah. So conferences can be extremely expensive, especially when we're talking about like you just went to Toronto on an in-person one. But uh, Elizabeth had just gone to Whistler. <laughs> like, yeah. No, conferences uh, are expensive. Uh, flights even to get that side of the country are crazy. So... I can't even imagine what the bill would be. Whistler's particularly expensive, so oh my god! And like, ugh. I mean, it's 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 just touching on like the fees <laughs> at conferences. Um, yeah, it's I get the feeling it's a racket. A lot of these, a lot of the times, it's a racket. And uh, I have, I don't think I've ever attended a conference where they made you pay for registration before you, um, before you knew if you were like going to even be able to present anything mm -hmm. um but i've heard of that happening and i think that's completely inappropriate that's not cool absolutely and the biggest like the biggest regret of my life because it was expensive was this year the like biggest conference international conference in my in my field is held in paris and i really wanted to go but it's so it's so incredibly expensive so i i held out and didn't apply uh, and I, the paper I almost submitted with my friend got accepted and, and like the panel we were putting together got accepted, but I had pulled out. 
So I would have been able to go to Paris. And then they announced that the ICA, the International Communication Association, that's the conference, uh, uh, announced that next year they're um, they're going to be in Toronto. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> so it's an international conference. It could be anywhere it in the could world. Be anywhere in the world, in Toronto. But you know, I, I guess in that case, uh, you know for sure you're going to go because it's going to be some easy. money. Yeah, it's going to be easy for you to get there. Absolutely. And I guess realistically, when we're talking about these like online conferences, so this week is the Canadian Communication Association. That's the one I attend tomorrow. Um, absolutely, like they're still worth to go because we're talking any sort of experience is good experience, right? Like, uh. For me, it's I have trouble speaking in front of people, so it's a great opportunity for me to practice speaking in front of strangers, but as well as trying to communicate my work to people who may not be familiar with the work that I do. It's very specific. We're talking my my special thing is, like, this really small topic. Uh, And so, like, anything that I can do to practice is good for me, and and I see that as being the primary reason at this point that I'm applying and paying the conference fees to do these online conferences. Well, I'd say another reason I go to conferences, and and, and the same thing goes for even just talks, and that's there's lots of talks on campus as well. You have to, like, Mm -hmm. kind of dig to find out what mailing lists you need to get on to find out where those talks are. Um, But one, one reason I go to talks and conferences too is to get ideas for Mm. work I'm going to be doing and uh, sometimes you don't know you're like that's tangentially related or not even related but then you hear them out and you're like wait that's like stimulating all these ideas like if what's that like in in what way does that weird paradigm that I had never thought of apply to my context and maybe maybe it is relevant and I didn't know or like it's just like through a lens that I I would not have thought to look through Um, and then uh, collaborating, right? Like you, 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 you're like, oh wow, that's an amazing method. I don't know uh, necessarily what methods you use, but in 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 my field, there's a, a lot of technical work involved. So mm-hmm. sometimes it'll be like, oh well, I did this cool imaging study, and it was only like a a million dollar device to do it. So if you want to do it yourself, then you got to have that million dollar device, or you can send samples to me and I can use my million dollar device to analyze uh, your your samples and then uh, give you some sweet data to put on your paper. So that those sorts of collaborations, um, that's kind of a, a way to learn where to where to go for them. Right. Yeah. Mine is it's a different sort of collaboration because with mine, we're talking just like talking and and often the collaborations I'm trying to do are with my classmates and colleagues. So I have a friend who goes to Penn State, and every time there's any sort of conference that comes up, I'm like, do you want to write a paper for this with me? Like, I'll put, like, we can do it together. We can put both of our names on it, and we'll go. And that's how, like, the ICA happened and things like that. But it also pushes me to, one, learn about new conferences because that's just guesswork. Like, that's just looking them up and trying to find them for yourself. But it's also, like, trying different, not necessarily methods. We use pretty similar methods but trying new topics and, and actively doing research outside of coursework, which is uh, incredibly hard to get yourself motivated to do. <laughs> so, like, I have to write all these other papers. Let me write this one instead. I guess uh, just to, like, uh, frame the conversation so people understand, um, just very briefly, can you tell us, like, 
um, how your program's structured in terms of courses and research? Because I because I know oh, that yeah. in my program, like when you're saying like to to be motivated to do no 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 for me that's not whether motivated or not. I have a research based degree, and my advisors are going to kick me out of the program if I'm not doing research right. adamantly and all the time. So um, that's mo- that's basically what I'm uh, what I do. I, right. I, I grad students in 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 science programs like like I am. Sometimes we're we're actually uh, inappropriately so treated just like employees, and people mm. will take professors will take on students like me to do grunt like not grunt work, but like do the work on the ground as uh, the experiments. Then uh, and not think about like the bigger picture. They'll just be like, "Here's the experiment, go do it," and you're just treated like this employee. Right. And we're just doing experiments all the time, so which a lot of research and a lot of time put into it, and it's uh, not necessarily <laughs> right. So mine is a little different. Um, you apply with your research topic, something that they that proves that you can do research on your own. And then the first year, so right where I'm at, is you're hopefully finishing up coursework. Um, so all I've done is just coursework. There's nothing else. I'm doing research in my courses. I have research papers that have to come out of that. Often they're like 20 pages long. Um, so for each of those classes, I've taken five now. And then you go on to then focus fully on a thesis dissertation topic. So you're going to write that, like, I think it's, I might be wrong. I don't know. I think the upper years are scaring me, but I think it's a 200 page paper that that's all you do for the next three years. But all the while trying to get some sort of research output out there too. So like, it doesn't look like all you did was write this one paper. So out of my courses, trying to bring those to conferences, bring those to uh, like journals, get submissions in there and try and have some sort of output. So uh, there's a lot happening, but the primary focus for you is still dissertation writing, like your specific paper. Mm-hmm. But that actually brings me to our last topic, because I think what I'm hearing for you is that you're working a lot for, is it a specific, like a PI, a principal investigator? Right, yeah, the the the, the, the supervisor student relationship is a bit different in science as well my uh, professors in science their bread and butter is publishing their primary research which is like doing experiments and you know publishing what you found in that research that that, that, uh, and that's all done on the ground by the graduate students so actually um, if you don't have graduate students doing that you got no output. <laughs> you publish your parish, right? <laughs> that, uh, whereas in, in some other fields where it's, you just got like thinky, brainy stuff, then you can thinky, brainy stuff without your graduate students around. You could probably get away with not even having them if you if you want, whereas that's, that's not a thing in, uh, in science. They have to have the graduate students. They're dependent on me. I'm dependent on them. It's a very yeah. reciprocal relationship. So in... Uh, well, I, I, mine is a separate program, right? Faculty of Information and Media Studies, but within like humanities, social science, media studies, all of these are more tangentially like you're taken on, you have a supervisor, they're doing their own work and they may or may not have uh, a research assistant. So I work for one professor as a research assistant for their research. However, they are supervising my research. They don't really do a lot in my research except like offer feedback but I'm doing my own thing but it is thinky brainy stuff often and then the ones who have like shirk grants some like humanities um, federal level grants will hire on uh, research assistants to help do their work which is that like what you're talking about publish or perish so they hire on people to kind of do more like annotations 
reference work, like these things that you would think people do on their own, but have research assistants to kind of assist with that work so they can focus on the thinky brainy stuff. But that really, to me, brings us to our final topic because we're talking about work. Like, I don't know for you if you're getting paid to do that work. Um, in my department, it's it's like a separate contract. I got hired on as a research assistant. That was kind of just, I knew the professor, she knew me, she hired me on for a 10 hour contract a week, not in total. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that's it. And then, um, and I, I do her work for her. Like I help her do her smaller work. But in your department, I don't I don't exactly know how it works. So is it that you are working specifically for this PI and, and getting paid? Or are you doing that and TA work, like teaching assistantships? Or are you doing just so, teaching assistantships? So how people get paid in science varies from program to po- program. Um, because everyone who comes in, not the thinky brainy stuff isn't <laughs> isn't labor it is uh but we have physical work that we need right. to come in and physically do every every scientist has to basically except for the theoretical ones have to do that um and so even the computer scientists too like they're coming on the com- they're going to the computer and doing that doing that work uh so they all all these programs have a stipend and they guarantee you this certain, a certain amount of money mm-hmm. it's just it depends on like what you have to do to get that money in my program i'm required to do a ta ship right. uh, so it's uh it's not like oh i get a ta ship extra money not bonus money it, it's my my stipend is paid out uh contingent on doing a t two tas a year right. um and then other programs that have your stipend you're paid to do your work if you ta mm-hmm. you get money on top Mm, interesting. I'm very jealous of <laughs> those. Uh, because I was going to say, so mine is similar to that as well. We have a 10 hour a week set expectation of doing TA work. So we do have that in common, it seems. Um, mine is two, two terms worth of, of contract labor for TAs, like as a TA. Um, and so, I, I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm quite familiar with TA work. I did that when I still was at my last university, that was my full-time job because it could be a full-time job at that university, um, not to crap on them. But um, so, but when we're talking about teaching assistant work, so I know a lot of, I think mostly the MA students that were in my department came in blind. They had never TA'd before. This was their first time. Um, they didn't really know what to expect and were extremely stressed about like, what what was the expectation i think some people think of it as teaching like they are the teacher which is not true in at least in my department and then the other part of it is that um like how how much attention to give to this and how to prioritize because you're doing you're talking about doing pi like work with your pi also ta work also your own research or classwork even so how do you go about prioritizing and planning for TA work? <laughs> it's a shit show. <laughs> um, we, we, we just, uh, <laughs> honestly, you, 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 you have all the expectations simultaneously mm-hmm. um, and you just have to manage the time. And what ends up being is people work all hours all the time. Yes. Because uh, you literally, you're like, I've got experiments I need to book, I need to plan and do, especially when you're someone like me who works with um, 
animals, uh, uh, aging animals, and I, I have to think about their life cycle and their <laughs> and, and keeping them alive and catching them at particular times and the time of day matters too mm-hmm. for experiments. So like um, there's a lot that goes into that planning and it's re- honestly, I mean, when you talk about like, hey, um, what's my core competencies? Um, <laughs> time management is one of them. This is like another, it's another level. Uh, yeah. I ha- I've had people look at my Google Calendar and like instant panic attack. Your Google Calendar is something that is out of both nightmares and also dreams because it's so, <laughs> it's so booked. Like it's fully all just various colors, every color of the rainbow. And at the same time, it's like, you are so organized that I'm like, I, I want to, I aspire to be at that level of organization. It's uh, I'd say in some cases, um, you, you it, it's kind of one of those things. You you make a list, and you say this is what I have. This was what I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there are people more organized than me, and the people who are more organized than me will time out their their lists more mm-hmm. often than not. I mean, sometimes I'll have things like this has to be done at one p.m. Um, but more often than not, most of the things in my calendar are things I got to do that day. It's basically like a like a checklist uh, right. that I'm making for myself, and I'm just saying on that day, go through that checklist. On another day, go through another checklist. And as most people do, I don't get through everything. Mm-hmm. I've actually found out recently that um, that's really common, <laughs> that people, what they lay out to do in a day, they don't actually finish it. So I've felt less bad, and every day I don't finish something, and I have to move it to tomorrow. I uh, just try not to push things too far <laughs> right and and with me i'm thinking like ta wise i think less on the daily and more on the semester long planning like i think i'm planning ahead a lot and it's that no matter what when you're TAing in the humanities or social science your your term is going to be incredibly like center and end heavy where it's like nothing happens for a month and a half everything happens and then it's dead again for a month and then at the end of the term you have this huge stack of like papers and exams to grade and so coming in as a TA I think it's incredibly like it there's a lie that it's like going to be so easy that like you go to class once a week you you teach your your seminar your tutorial and then you're just chilling and then all of a sudden you get like thumped with 27 papers to grade that have like a week deadline, which is incredibly short. Uh, that's something that was new at Western, wasn't true at my other university. And so these like really short turnaround times that you, if you're not prepped for, really don't coincide well with your own deadlines. So we're talking the end of the semester for undergrads is the same as grad students. So they have papers due and so do you. So (laughs) I'm trying to tell the MA students that I work with and the PhD students that I work with that I'm like, okay, but you can't start your paper. And with us, because you're doing this like online work or text heavy work that doesn't rely on collecting evidence, like collecting evidence over time, you need to start in like September, which is shocking and, and confusing, but you need to start so early because those conflicting deadlines at the end of the semester are just going to bog you down. Like there's no way to do it. Honestly, I mean, uh, I've made it seem like, oh, you have to have some like 
supernatural uh, <laughs> ability to do time management to manage you know i've got to you know go in and do a cross with my flies and i'm going to breed them it's going to be 14 days later that i have to collect the adults but then also i have to be breeding my mice simultaneously and six months from now i'm going to be aging them and experimenting with them and i have to manage all those times simultaneously along with tiang mm-hmm. uh, like that seems crazy to do but those times like they're kind of there once you've right. once you determine how long it's going to take a particular experiment um you can literally put the time in and then it's set mm-hmm. whereas i found actually it's more difficult when i'm like writing i'm writing a manuscript right, right now and a lot of your work is just like writing stuff right so i i find it very difficult because how do you plan to write different components how do you like schedule in your schedule I'm going to write the intro, the results, the discussion, whatever, mm-hmm. how, whatever structures you have at these times if you don't know what those sections are yet. Right. So I have to plan to plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I I put in my schedule, plan. I have a, in my schedule, plan a time to write. Please plan. <laughs> <laughs> Please plan. Please plan. <laughs> um, and I think that's another skill in of itself, like planning sk- experimental work versus planning like thinking work Mm -hmm. and I've not mastered the thinking thing I don't know I haven't made enough time yeah and when we're talking like and planning so as it as a TA as well so the class that I TA'd for was like an intro level um media and, and information studies class that's like 500 students it's huge and and what's going on is that there's like the professor is leading a weekly a weekly uh, lecture with everybody and then you have your tutorial that you're leading on whatever you really want to cover but he'll give you like the professor gave us like some sort of breakdown of what he'd like to see happen so we have to also prep some sort of tutorial like a 50 minute thing to talk about and with this I actually like my only piece of advice genuinely my only piece of advice was that the professor told us all you need to do is be 10 minutes ahead of a first year student because what happens is first of all some of you are coming from other fields to TA this work like I came out of pop culture was my under my um, undergrad and my master's and I'm coming into information technology which is a little different it's not incredibly different but there's still heavily focus on something else and then the same thing is that we're also talking about um like having to prep your own hour-long tutorial with students who are showing up there and they're going to ask you just so many questions so the only advice that i had received that genuinely seems to continue on like that i would take and i want to i want to pass off and impart onto somebody else is that you just need to be 10 minutes ahead of a student and it's not it doesn't it goes beyond year it goes to every year it's just first year student any any student any student will do it could be first all the way through fourth it doesn't matter most of them don't do their readings so (laughs) that's like my ta advice because it can seem incredibly stressful starting a ta ship at a new university um i feel like uh uh in science is a little bit different (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, uh, like you, you're like, oh, I'm like comparing. I don't see other people when I'm TAing. I've got like my group that I'm TAing and then the students that I see. So I, I, it's hard to compare actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, we have 18 TAs for the class that I TA and we see each other once a week. Okay. So there you go. So you've good, like you're, you're, you know, you're having to work with other TAs simultaneously mm-hmm. where, where 
frequently it's like one TA for the class mm. uh, or two. Yeah, most the, actually the biggest issue with TAing with other people, because it's so great to have a support system, is actually that if you do anything that differs from other TAs, you're going to hear about it through the first year students. So the first one will talk to the other and go, um, well, they did this in their tutorial and you're not doing that. So why am I mo- like losing out on this? Why aren't you doing that? When it's completely up to every single TA to make up what they do in their tutorial time. I think that that's a consistent feature is that no matter what the class is, the TAs need to be on the same page. And Absolutely. that's not always been the case. And that's the it's the uh, uh, undergrads that see the, the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are just coming close to the close here yeah so um what would you say is the take-home message for uh graduate students who are going to be doing work now in the semi post-covid world Mm. i think if if there's anything i'm taking away from this it's actually because i've gotten advice as well is just to be willing to put yourself out there. It seems like the best thing that you could possibly do is go to the grad club (laughs) and just be willing to meet some new people. Maybe go with a friend or like go to event, go to events, make yourself available and make, make some friends that way. All right. So with that, this has been Gradcast Live. And it was a live episode taping of the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Brittany Melton, and my co-hosts were Elizabeth Moeller and Ariel Frame. If you'd like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can find us on all of all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select episodes have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great day.